You are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn and Opelika on ESPN 106.7. Listen online at foxsports983.com or espnau.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. Join the show by calling 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Happy Friday, everybody. And happy Friday to you, Levi. How you doing today, my man? Going well, going well. Got a lot. I got a loaded weekend ahead of me. Got a graduation to go to tonight. Got a wedding to go to on Saturday. So, you know, it's going to be enjoyable, but it's also a pretty busy weekend. The weather's looking good. It's just a good time. You've got a lot of good sports going on right now. NHL playoffs ramping up. NBA, the play-in tournament, which I still don't understand how it works, but that's going well. And then you've got some Auburn softball going on behind us as well as Auburn football news, it just never stops. It's every single day. Somebody's transferring in or out, so there's a lot to keep up with right now. And it's been a lot of transferring in, not a lot of transferring out. Of course, there was a lot of transferring out at the beginning of the offseason and then right after spring practice. But now, this week, there's been a lot of transferring into the Auburn Athletic Department. One basketball player in, two football players in. And now the latest today, Kansas defensive end transfer Marcus Harris to come to the plains a former six foot three 250 pound strong side defensive end from the class of 2019 it was the number 115 strong side defensive end according to 24 7 sports composite in that 2019 class he makes the trip after two years from kansas playing with less miles at the jayhawks he started out coming from park crossing high school right down the lo- right down the road in montgomery alabama yeah, I mean, when you bring somebody in, it kind of makes sense. You know, he's from Montgomery. You bring him back home. And what have we always talked? What have we been talking about throughout the entire offseason with this Auburn football team? They've got two glaring weak spots, and both of them were the, the offensive and the defensive lines. So, what are you going to do? All right. So, you bring in a guy like Tony Fair from UAB. You bring in a guy like Marcus Harris from Kansas. You just start trying to get some bodies in here and start trying to get some, get some players. And look at. If you throw enough stuff at the wall, eventually something's going to stick here. That's kind of the mentality that I feel like they've done here with defense. It's just they've gotten a lot of guys, and they're going to see what Derek Mason can do with them. It seems that that's their focus on the transfer side of things is, look, there's some sort of value that we see on the defensive side of the football in the transfer portal. Not so much offense. It doesn't seem like they valued anybody in offense right now, but they have been very big on getting some of these guys in here on the defensive side. I like the move here. He was a redshirt freshman last year, so he still has a nice helping of collegiate eligibility coming to the Plains and can end up developing into an actually a good defensive lineman. Not to say that he's not there already, but he is coming from Kansas, and there probably is still some development to be had for the former three-star player. I like the long-term projection for a guy like Marcus Harris. You look at his stats at Kansas, one of the most productive defensive linemen for the Jayhawks last year, 27 total tackles, seven and a half tackles for loss. He did not have a sack last year, one forced fumble, but still the seven and a half TFLs. The guy was able to, he was able to murky things on the defensive line. He sometimes can shift to the defensive tackle position. 
On Kansas's website, he's listed at 280 pounds, six foot two. He's able to provide Auburn some versatility on the defensive line, which is another theme of all of the players that have been brought in. Of course, Tony Fair, a true nose tackle, but you look at a guy like Eku Leota from Northwestern, the guy can shift around, can go from the edge to a true defensive end position, and I'm sure he also could even move as far as the interior to be a pass-rushing defensive tackle. I would be willing to say that that pass-rushing defensive tackle for Eku Leota probably not going to happen. But still, when you look at, if you were to go and look at all the different places that Eku Leota started at, or didn't start at, but lined up at, at Northwestern last year, you would see versatile when you talk about Eku Leota. I think the same thing could be said about Marcus Harris. I think this is a good get. Of course, we talked early this week about folks downing some of the former locations of some of these transfers that Auburn's been bringing in. Kansas, UAB, places like that. But I think folks should be excited about this. I think he can come and play a role for Auburn. I think he's going to be a role player. I don't think they're asking him to come in right away to come and be a star because look at the position he's coming into. That's going to be held down by a guy like Colby Wooden or Eku Leota coming in. There are guys that are more primed and ready to step in to starting roles at those positions like Evis Walker, Tyrone Truesdale, Lee Hunter. The names go on and on. This is a guy where you're playing it for the long haul. It's a, it's a long-haul move, and again, we, we keep harping on the fact that there are people out there who are incredibly upset about where these guys are coming from, where they're getting these transfer guys, as well as some of the former star ratings of these guys, but you got to think about it. This is not a guy that you're bringing in and saying, look, you're coming in this year, you're starting this year. You don't need that, and also, who like, what else are you getting out of the transfer portal right now? It As of today, it's May the 21st. You're not going to get... You're not, there's not just four and five stars just oozing out of the transfer portal right now. There's just not that many type of guys available. So you're trying to shore up what was a little bit weaker of a recruiting class because you got into the program so late. If you're Brian Harson and some of the other guys, I mean, the coaching staff, again, was not finalized until like a week before signing day. Really nothing you could have done to completely establish a recruiting class. But if this way... You can shore up some holes. You can salvage some things. You can fix some of the guys who transferred out after the spring and left some openings on the roster as well. So what you've done here is you've went out, you've looked and tried. You've done, you've done what Brian Harson has done his entire tenure at Boise State. You found guys that you see some sort of value in that might be undervalued by some of the media and recruiting outlets, and you bring them in here, and you you are going to expect them to play some sort of role and or develop into something else. I like these moves. I know everybody's going to scoff that it's a guy from Kansas. But you could be a you could be a very talented player and just be on an outright bad team, and that's fair. He's going to go to a better situation. Maybe he, Harson sees some type of potential in Harris. Exactly, and I think that's something that you— Seven and a half TFLs tells me there's potential there for a young player. And this was on a defense that was—let's uh, less, less not sugarcoat it. Kansas defense last year was terrible. They were, Isn't everything about Kansas terrible? Oh, 100%. I mean, they're, they're just not. I mean, that's a bad, bad football program, like abysmally bad football program. If they don't have basketball, they're way out of the Big 12. Like, they are kicked so far out of the Big 12 because their football is that bad. But, I mean, like, you bring in a guy who can come in, and I like what you said where he's versatile. He can play a little bit of everything on the line. A little, You know, he can kind of shift around on that line, and that has been the theme. It's been getting guys for Derek Mason that can do just a plethora of things on that side of the ball and seeing what he can do with it. Again, I think it's a good move. Look, it's it's May 21st, man. Anytime you're getting somebody, a three-star type of guy who could come in 
and plays some sort of value as a role player at this stage, I think it's a good move. Montgomery native, I love that as well. Oh, yeah. Able you to love come the guys. back close to home. Yeah, you I love like the guys. That. You love the guys around here. That's always good. Former number 115 strong side defensive end, obviously not going to jump off the page. A three-star prospect, according to 24-7 Sports Composite. Number to call in, 334-321-1390. We want to hear from you once again. 334-321-1390 is the number to call into the show. Find Levi and I on Twitter, at Point Gardner, at Levi Fitzwater. Tell us what you think about the transfer additions for Auburn football. I put up an article on RadioAlabamaSports.net. Once again, RadioAlabamaSports.net is the website. What do Auburn's transfer additions tell you about the new coaching staff's perception of the defense? For me, you look at the six guys that are coming to Auburn based on the transfer additions going all the way back when this coaching staff first stepped on and said, these are guys we're going out and getting. I'm talking Dreshawn Miller, Eku Leota, Tony Fair, and then the rest of the guys that have been brought in, Donovan Kaufman, the, the list goes on. The six players that have been brought in all defensive players and you and I have talked a lot about what does that mean why is Auburn bringing in all of these defensive players why have we not seen any offensive transfers yet when is that going to happen which I still think Auburn's searching for those players if they even do find those players but you know TJ Finley's name has come up in the last week we talked about that last Friday still nothing there on that front will they go and take a running back will they go and take a wide receiver are they going to be able to find an offensive lineman that can contribute all of those are fair questions to ask but I want to center this in on the defensive side of the football what does Auburn's focus in the transfer portal on the defensive side of the ball tell us about this coaching staff's perception of the defense that they were taking over going into the 2021 season? For, for me, I think it, it's telling that there are some holes on the defensive side that they're seeing. Like, like it might not Namely be like, one position group. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've seen like I've seen defensive line. They have valued that they need to bring in some guys on the defensive line, and they've I also feel like they've had to bring in some defensive backs to kind of even add to the depth as well. You get a guy like Kaufman, you get that safety position with Bedarius Knighton coming in as well. So like it just Donovan Kaufman. Yeah, it just seems like they've got some guys that are coming in that they're they looked at this team and they said, Look, this is a good defense. We know that the defensive back or the at least in the defensive backfield, this should be a really good unit in all of college football, but it still has problems. And I like that. I like that they're looking at the probably what we think is the best position group on the team in the defensive backfield and they added to that well you were having to replace talking about the defensive backfield first and then I'll get to the defensive line because I want to spend some time on the defensive line in depth but you talk about the defensive backfield I think that's a little bit of a different situation I don't know if I'm looking at that and thinking that their perception is that they needed some help in terms of trying to make it better for this year because maybe guys were talented or whatnot the way I'm looking at it is Smoke Monday is about to graduate and Chris Thompson just transferred so you need to go and get a couple of yeah. safeties for the future. Badarius Knighton from Southeast Missouri State only has one year of eligibility left. He's going to be a role player. He's going to come in and provide you depth for this season where you are sorely lacking that because Chris Thompson Jr. is gone. You also get that out of Donovan Kaufman. Donovan Kaufman was poised to be one of the best players, if not the best player, on the Vanderbilt defense this upcoming season. That's the way that Vanderbilt folks were talking about Kaufman going into the 2021 season. He gets hurt after two games last year, and now he decides to transfer and rejoin his previous head coach, now defensive coordinator at Auburn. 
Kaufman is one of those depth pieces for the future. He's a guy that you yes. brought in because Smoke Monday's leaving. I don't think Auburn brought in those safeties because the safety position was weak. I think they brought it in because they needed depth. Then you look at the cornerback position, and they brought in Dreshawn Miller. I think that's just because they saw a stud out there on the transfer market, and they're like, we got to go and get this guy and bring him in. But also, you want to have as many good corners as possible. And Auburn losing Christian Tutt, you had Roger McCreary, Jalen Simpson, and Nehemiah Pritchett. Two of those really came on last year to join Roger McCreary as an outstanding cornerback in the SEC I would say Pritchett and Simpson had good seasons we'll see what they could follow it up with this year but you want a fourth cornerback and that was what Dresha and Miller was able to add so I don't I don't think that this coaching staff looked at the defensive backs and thought that it was a group that was a weakness I think they were just like we need to get some depth at the safety position and then maybe add one more cornerback to really make it an elite unit the defensive line is a completely different story for me though oh, yeah. I think they did look at that they saw some film they saw some stats from last year and were like Ah, we need to fix this. Yeah, with the defensive backfield, I think they just saw it and were like, "This is a good. This is a good unit. Let's bolster it. Let's make it even better. Let's add some depth to it. Add role players to that." And I, I say it all the time with quarterbacks. When you have four quarterbacks, you have no quarterbacks. It's like the opposite for defensive backfield and defensive linemen. Like uh, on the defensive side in general, you can never have too many defensive players because you can rotate those guys in and out. You can have fresh bodies if you have guys who can go out there and contribute. You're going to run them out there. And we know that the defensive line was an issue last year. So what they do, they said, look, we're just going to get a bunch of guys here. We're going to go out and actively try to get some guys to bring them in here. And we're going to see if they can contribute. You get a guy like Tony Fair. You get a guy like Marcus Harris. You bring them in and you see if they can compete. Maybe maybe come in and just provide you some meaningful minutes because it was a weak unit on this defense last year. Defensive line last season, some stats here for you. Just food for thought. Once again, go and check out my article. What do Auburn's transfer additions tell you about the new coaching staff's perception of the defense on RadioAlabamaSports.net? Auburn finished 53rd in the nation in yards allowed per carry and 52nd in sacks per game last year, which for me paints a picture of an average defensive line that played well against the average to below average teams in the SEC that they played on their schedule last year, but they were forced unproductive by good offensive lines in the conference, which that is plain and simple. Look at the stats. By the book, it's true. Auburn gave up five and a half yards per carry against Georgia, Ole Miss, Tennessee, Alabama, and Texas A&M. You look at those five games right there, and you add up all the yards Auburn allowed, and then divide it by the attempts, five and a half yards per carry against those five opponents, and then they only averaged 1.8 sacks per game against those same opponents. The best offensive lines that Auburn played against last year, they were completely shut out of the backfield by those opposing offensive lines and they got ran all over you look at that texas a&m game over 300 yards against the auburn defensive line you had in the 280s against Ole miss i believe two sec opponents have more than 250 against you three of them actually have more than 250 one more than 300 two just more than 250 outrageous that that happened against an auburn defensive line when you think back to the defensive lines that kevin still had from 2016 to 2020 once Derek brown and marlon davidson left the program it showed you how much they were really anchoring down some of those players on that line. And I think this coaching staff saw what they had on this roster and said, look, we've got to address the defensive line any way we can. I don't know if these additions, Eku Leota, Tony Fair, and now Marcus Harris, I don't know if all of these guys are enough to solve it. There's definitely a nice 
stable of players. There's so many defensive linemen they're going to be able to use. I mean, you add that with Colby Woodens, Ikevis Walker, Tyrone Truesdale, Lee Hunter. Once again, that's seven players right there that I just named on a 3-4 front, right? And that's Derek Hall as well. I can't believe I forgot that name. I mean, you got eight guys that are going to line up along that defensive line or, or more. Once again, the roster goes on and on. I don't know if these new additions are going to be enough to solve it. Part of it's going to have to go along with development, but hopefully the, these players are able to contribute in a way that at least fills some fills a need for Auburn that, as illustrated statistically last year, was a major problem. And like you said, you don't know if it's going to fix anything or you know fix any problems, but it helps. You, Football's three months away. We'll find out. Yeah, you're bringing in plenty of guys. You have enough guys to where you have that opportunity where you're sitting there looking at it going, look, odds are, one of these guys has to help at some point, whether that's just a role piece, whether it's coming in and playing at least a couple downs. When you bring in a lot of guys like that, it, I mean, it just it makes sense that one of those guys has to it has to contribute in some way. It also it makes me feel like TJ Finley's coming to Auburn more because you, every time I feel like somebody's name has been brought up around Auburn, they've came to Auburn now. Marcus Harris was a guy connected to Auburn. Tony Fair connected to Auburn. I just feel like every one of these we've heard that have been connected to Auburn, they've ended up here. So now it makes me feel like T.J. Finley might end up here. It also He's it, also connected to a lot more teams than those guys were. Very true, but it also... Namely it, it, Alabama. And I do like hearing... I, I do like that when Auburn's name's being mentioned, they are being able to bring these guys in. It does mean that th- this coaching staff does have some sort of rapport in bringing guys in and selling them on something. So that's good to know moving forward, especially with their first full-cycle recruiting class coming up. We'll see how they do you know, in the next year. That's the one that you got to look out for on the recruiting front. Auburn softball taking on UCF in the Tallahassee Regional right now. We'll try and keep you up to date on what's going on in that game throughout the, the, the show today. It's 5-4 to four, UCF headed to the bottom of the third. Auburn's coming up to the plate. Jacob Hillman, our new intern, did some stat research for me to find out how many times Auburn in SEC play scored more than five runs. They've only done it twice. They're going to have to do that in order to beat UCF and start out in the regional 1-0. So we'll see if Auburn's able to do that. We'll keep you up to date. UCF had as much as a 5-1 lead on the Tigers. Auburn's battled it back to 5-4. They're coming up to the plate, bottom of the third hitting. So that, that'll be something that we'll keep you up to date with throughout the rest of the show. We'll be back with more of On the Line on the other side of this break. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater with you on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call, 334-321-1390. That'll put you through to On the Line. we got a caller on the line with us, Shane, joining us on the Friday edition of the show. Shane, what's up, my man? Hey, man. How y'all guys doing? We're doing good. How you doing? Um, well, um, I, I, I'm loving the, the football talk. Do you guys remember when – you get excited for the start of the football season, like 99 days, and you, you're just like, you can feel it. That's right. I haven't felt that way in a long time. I mean, I remember Tuberville days when, when, we, when we were, we were, we were, we had the team, but it just felt different because you weren't getting dominated by, by teams. Um, and, you know, you hear the people say, it's good for football when Alabama is great, when Texas is great, USC, blah, blah, blah. Why, why is that? Because they dominate the rest of their league. So they have, like, they're the face of the SEC. They're the face of the Pac-12. You know, this is that. 
had a chance versus, like, we're not going to play in a game that everybody every year has Alabama win the SEC in the playoffs or or national championship. Before, I'd say, before safety got here, a couple years into it, it was good for the league because everybody had a chance. Now, I mean, I, I, you got to give it to the guy. He's, he's, he's the greatest, which sucks. Or, you know, really sucks because he's your biggest rival. But it takes that something out, takes some flavor out of the, the anticipation of there's only 100 days left. You're so excited. Now it's just like, yeah, it's 100 days left. Uh, well, we'll see how we do this year. That's a fair point. You're rooting for more parity. I understand that point. And I, I'm typically on that side as well. Also understand the other side of the argument, though, where people say college football is better when, you know, team A, team B, team C, you know, your Miamis, your Texases, your, your USC's. But you're right. When those teams are good, they're dominating their league. So it's not really achieving what I would like to see. I, I'm, I'm with you. I want competition. I want parity. I want to see Miami and Florida State play when those two teams are good. I want to see USC and UCLA play when those two teams are good. I want to see Oklahoma-Texas play when both are good. And it seems like that never happens anymore. I'm with you. Yeah. I want something different versus the same. You already know who three-fourths of the playoffs are going to be every year before the games they're even played. So what's fun is this season when you have to win every game. You didn't used to have, have to win every game that you had because even the bowl games matter. Bowl games don't matter to squat anymore. They don't matter. I'm sorry. If whoever thinks they do, they don't. If they can expand the playoffs so there's like eight games, then then those eight games might matter. But nothing outside of the, the you know, I remember even when, when the BCS games, matter yes bowl you did you were you did pretty well or the orange bowl citrus whatever it is when you when you got to one of those games you you had a great season and it wasn't something taken away the fact that you didn't win the national title that year and now it's like all or nothing for every team or you or or, or it's just so when you lose you lose one game this year chances are you can't lose a second game and you can can't you can't go ten to two because nine ten's gonna go eleven to one and, you, and, and you, what you play for? I don't know. It's just a. I'm hoping that that things get leveled off a little bit so there's more. Of, I don't know. There's a better feel to the season again. Yeah, and, I, and I'll I, say this: there's there's two reasons for all of this right now. There's few elite coaches and three teams dominating recruiting every year, and until, and until those two right. things change. And the thing is, the three elite coach, the few elite coaches are at the same three tape, the same three places that are dominating recruiting. So until those two things change, football is going to be the same way for for the next several years. Are there, are there really any legit plans to expand the playoffs? Me, <laughs> I, I don't really want to see it. I don't want to see it grow because I think it waters down the regular season more. Which you know, some people have different opinions on that than I do, but. And namely Levi, but and we talk about it, we debate it all the time. But you know, I I, I, I wish we had the BCS. I, I I was never really a fan of the playoff to begin with, but I wish you still had the BCS. I didn't feel like it really got it wrong ever. 
I know Auburn missed out one time, and I think that's the one time where I would point to where like the BCS got this one wrong. But I feel like every single year the BCS spit out rankings, the top two teams were in the title just about every time. Yeah, I I, I much enjoyed I, I enjoyed the, B, the, uh, the BCS a lot better than I enjoy the playoff. It, it, it just doesn't seem. I don't watch the playoff games. I, I don't watch them. There's three games at the end of the year. It's the same three-game game every year. And, I, and who wants to see the same game over and over and over again? It's it, it just, you know, tired of it. So either expand it or get rid of it or something. It's, I don't think that it, that it works because it's, it's a popularity contest. If you're ranked one, two, three, four, or whatever, already in most polls before the season starts, then all you got to do is just stay. But if you're ranked, if you're unranked because of an opinion of somebody, popularity, then you can't, it's going to be so hard for you to skip through, you know, all the other teams to get to number four to even have a chance to do it. Um, I don't know. I, I, I just, I don't, I don't agree with that. I don't like it. And that, that's not a big reason why I think a lot of fans are, are excited about some of these other teams, uh, uh, sports that are finally up a little bit. So we can be excited about anything other than just football. So, uh, here's hoping that we get two more games in baseball so we can so we can play a couple more games, baby. That's right. Uh, and softball, too, that's currently in action right now as well. well so. right now. Yeah. Anyway, guys, I just wanted to put that out there. Uh, enjoy the show as always. Appreciate it, Shane. And we'll make sure to keep talking about it throughout the rest of the show. I think those are some good points, and I'd like to keep talking about it. And uh, anything else that somebody wants us to talk about as well, call in, 334-321-1390. That'll put you through to on the line. I think there's a couple of points I want to make about that phone call real quick, and I and I agree with them. There's frustration. I have frustration about the game now. It's not the same game that we watched 10 years ago. It's not the same game that we watched 20 years ago. And I tend to resonate a little bit more with older souls, and I miss the way things used to be. I really do. I miss, I miss the – it feels like the game's kind of every single – Every five, ten years that we further and further go on now, it seems like the pageantry of the game changes. And, the, and the, I feel like the college football product that you look at now is vastly different than the one that it was ten years ago, vastly different than the one it was 20 years ago. Things have changed. And I think that's led to frustration in some fans out there. I, I'm, not, I'm not really, really frustrated, but I, but I am sad in some respects to how the game has changed. I think people are only frustrated because there's a lack of parity at the top there's parity throughout but not at the the very top of it i think that's where all the frustration really stems from they don't know how to fix it let's talk about that more throughout the show though but on the other side of this break we got christian clemente of auburnsports.com joining us and we'll take some time for that conversation coming up next stay on the line more of the show when we come back Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Keep up with all of the content the show is putting out on RadioAlabamaSports.net and on the Radio Alabama Sports Facebook page. Follow it on Twitter as well at Radio AL Sports. Between collegiate and high school sports content, we've got you covered. Once again, that's RadioAlabamaSports.net. And as promised, we're going to head to our phone lines now. we got Christian Clemente of AuburnSports.com joining us. Christian, how you doing today, my man? I'm doing good. I'm enjoying some of this nice weather. How about you guys? 
Doing good, man. Doing good. I'm looking to get out on the golf course this weekend. Of course, PGA Championship going on. That's that's got to be all riled up. I got to get out there and get a, get some swings in. Hopefully, knock some not some strokes off my game. But that's that's been a wish for years to come. But uh, I, I'm enjoying <laughs> the weather as well, my man. And a lot of good football news out there. Auburn landing Kansas defensive end transfer Marcus Harris earlier today. Tell us about the big man coming to the Tigers. Yeah, I think this is a pretty solid pickup for Auburn. They needed some depth on that defensive line, and that's exactly what they're getting in Marcus Harris. Um, he told Jeffrey Lee of AuburnSports.com that he wants to play the three, the four eye, or the five, and really he's open to doing all of that. Um, so he's a very versatile piece for Auburn, and I think him, Donovan Kaufman, and Tony Fair, which happened last week, I believe, these are all guys that are going to be not necessarily starters, but they're going to be depth pickups, and they're going to play a lot. I think these are guys that are really raising the floor for this season. I don't know if they're necessarily raising the ceiling. I don't think they're superstar pickups, but I think they're very good pickups and guys that Auburn needed and that will raise the floor for this season. That's a great way to put it. Something that I hadn't thought about how to describe it, but that's a great way to put it. Raising the floor, not necessarily raising the ceiling because they're, they may not be starters. They may not be guys who come in and make an impact every single play, but they definitely provide you depth to where if – you do lose a starter, or if somebody goes out for a play, you're not suffering too much on that side of the ball. I want to know what you think this coaching staff's opinion is of this defense or what it was coming into this new job. Derek Mason, Brian Harson, what did you think they thought about this defense based off of the fact that they brought in six different guys now on the defensive side of the ball from the transfer portal? Yeah, so I think they liked where they stood. Um, obviously, it did lose some pieces to the transfer portal, and I think that's kind of what you're seeing now. You know, maybe a guy like Big Cat Bryant, who ended up leaving, is getting replaced by Marcus Harris. Um, people in the secondary left, and then by Darius Knight and then Donovan Kaufman come in. So I think they liked what they where they stood, but they also did see some holes, and especially depth, where Auburn did lose so many pieces in the transfer portal or people graduating, et cetera. They decided, hey, we need to go out. We need to build some depth. And they needed to build some depth for the future as well. You look at it for this season, by Darius Knighton is a guy who will probably play a decent amount as he only has one year left. But then you look at Donovan Kaufman and Marcus Harris, who are guys who played their freshman season last year and who have four seasons still to go. So I think they wanted to add some depth for the future, along with guys who already had some collegiate experience. So I think some pretty solid pickups for this defense. Do you have an opinion on why they've been focused on defense and not the offensive side of the ball in the transfer portal? Uh, I think they have been focusing on offense, but they've just kind of been playing patient. Um, we've heard about a couple names on offense, you know, TJ Finley, Jordan Ingram, the running back who is at Central Michigan, but I believe he's from Montgomery, um, and he entered the portal. And then we've also heard some names who have yet to enter the portal, but there's some pretty big names along the offensive line and at wide receiver that Auburn's very interested in if they do enter the portal. So I think Auburn's just trying to play it a little bit patient um, and pick up pieces where they see necessary. Switching over to the basketball side of things, we saw, we saw Scoot Henderson decide to take off for the G League. What does this mean for Auburn basketball? Do you think this was expected for the Auburn team, and how do they expect to handle it? Yeah, as soon as Katie Johnson committed, um, I believe it was expected, and I think the Scoot Henderson news has been expected for a couple weeks now. Um, we all saw it on Twitter that the rumor is he got a million dollars to go to the G League. Look, Auburn, Alabama, Kentucky, Duke, none of these schools can compete with the G League giving out a million dollars. You just can't. 
Um, I really don't think it's that big of a blow. Scoot, if he would have come to Auburn, would have been coming in as a point guard. Auburn already got their two point guards in Wendell Green and Zeb Jasper. At shooting guard, you've got Desi Sills and Katie Johnson. So I think this roster at the guard position is in a fantastic spot. Um, they've got one scholarship spot still remaining. Um, JT Thor does remain in the draft, which is where I would expect him to stay. And honestly, I think the roster you're looking at now is the roster we'll see next season. I really wouldn't expect Auburn to go out and add anybody else unless an absolute stud were to enter the transfer portal that Auburn decides they cannot pass up on. Katie Johnson coming to the program. You mentioned him. How might he slide in? I know you said he's a shooting guard as well, but you look at him as a high school recruit, played a lot of point guard also to see someone who maybe throws his hat in the ring. It seems like him and Zepp Jasper are kind of combo guards. Yeah, I think they're both combo guards. I would say Zepp is more of a traditional point guard. Um, the way I put it in my rotation and a story I put out this week was um, Zepp and Wendell splitting the starting point guard duties. I think that's going to be a fantastic battle to watch um, over the fall heading into the season. And then you've got Katie Johnson and even Desi Stills as the third point guard, um, if we're necessary. Katie Johnson, like you said, he did play point guard in high school. But when he was over at Georgia, he mostly played off the ball, and I think that's where he's best. He's a fantastic scorer. Every time he gets the ball, he's looking to score. He's not necessarily super pass-heavy, which is why I don't think he would be starting at point guard here. But I do think he'll be the starting shooting guard uh, this upcoming season for Auburn. Going back to some football here, Athlon Sports released its post-spring All-SEC team, and Tate Bigsby not a first-teamer there. Where do you think Tank Bigsby stacks up with the other running backs in this league and maybe even into the country? Uh, I mean, wow. I hadn't heard that until just now, but that is very surprising. Um, I mean, I think Tank Bigsby is probably a top 10, maybe top five running back in the country. And by the end of the season, it wouldn't shock me if he is the top running back. Um, I believe PFF has him rated as the top running back at the end of this season. I think he's a fantastic running back. He benefits from the fact that Auburn's offensive line is not very good at protecting the pass, but they can run block with about the best of them. So I think Tank Bigsby definitely deserves to be at the top of the SEC list and probably deserves to be top 10 in the country. Speaking with Christian Clemente of AuburnSports.com, last question here for you before we let you get out of here and something that we're going to talk about later on in our show Make the argument for us that Auburn is going to average more than 32 points per game next season. If that if that was going to be your position, try and make that argument for us because last year you see Auburn average around 25 a game. Is it possible for Auburn to make that seven-point jump? Oh, boy. Uh, um, <laughs> put me on the spot here. I, I, don't, I really don't know if Auburn can do that, mostly because I don't think that's how Auburn wants to play this year. Um, I think they want to play – running the ball heavily and leaning on having a good defense, which goes back to how much they've hit the transfer portal for defense. Um, if they do want to average more than 32 points, I think it's going to come from the fact of players that we haven't seen yet, adding a left tackle that can protect Bo Nix, which in turn improves Bo Nix's play, going out and adding a veteran wide receiver, which helps Bo as well, and then these tight ends stepping up alongside tanking them. So I think if they were to do that, Auburn is still missing the pieces to be able to do that. I think it's possible, 
But with the way the offensive line and the wide receiver group stands now, I don't think it's possible. Christian, I love it, my man. That was great as always. Tell everybody where they can find all the great content you're putting out. Yes, you can find my stuff over at AuburnSports.com along with on Twitter at CClemente underscore. That was Christian Clemente of AuburnSports.com. Christian, I hope you have a great afternoon, great weekend, my man. Enjoy the weather. Thank you. You guys as well. That was Christian Clemente of AuburnSports.com joining us on the line here on this Friday afternoon. On the other side of this break, we're going to wrap up our number one, talk a little bit about some of the things happening in college basketball right now. Overtime Elite League and G League snagging up some great high school talent. How does that affect Auburn and other teams moving forward? We talk about it coming up. On the line on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM and ESPN 106.7. Wrapping up our number one here of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater with you on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Big thank you there to Christian Clemente of AuburnSports.com for joining us in that previous segment. If you missed that, go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. Phone lines are open. Number to call, 334-321-1390. We want to hear from you. Before we wrap up our number one here, let's take a listen to what's on TV tonight. Hey, everybody. It's Noah Gardner with What's On Tonight. Happy Friday. A new episode of Shark Tank on ABC at 7 as life-sized robotic dinosaurs are brought to the tank. Some movie selections for tonight go back to the 80s with the classic The Breakfast Club is on AMC at 7. Terminator 2 Judgment Day is on BBC at 7. In live sports, the final spot from the Western Conference in the NBA playoffs will be battled for between the Memphis Grizzlies and the Golden State Warriors at 7 on ESPN. The NHL play Playoffs continue with four games on the slate. Game four between the Capitals and the Bruins at 5.30 on NBCSN. At six on USA, it's game three between the Hurricanes and the Predators. At eight on NBCSN, game two of the Jets-Oilers series. And at 8.30 on USA, game three between the Avalanche and the Blues. Friday night MLB game as the Brewers and the Reds clash at 6.10 on FS1. I'm Noah Gardner, and that's what's on TV tonight. NBA playoff action continuing on into tonight. You got Warriors Grizzlies for that last spot in the play-in tournament as well as the NHL playoffs still trucking along or skating along. That's probably a better or or uh, what, what's the what's the name of Zamboni? Is that the name of it too? Zamboniing along throughout the playoffs. I don't know. I don't know if Zamboniing can be a verb, but sure. That's we'll, going we'll on skate, to the word wrong. list, man. That's going on to the word list. Zamboniing. Zamboniing. I don't even know how you that spell. Spelt? I don't even know how you spell that. It's a tough. It's one. hyphenated. But yeah, I mean the, the <laughs> NHL playoffs have been pretty good so far. I'm a little disappointed in the way that the Florida Panthers have been playing. You know, they pretty much handled the Tampa Bay Lightning all season, and then Tampa Bay Lightning decided let's play our two best players in the playoffs and just flex our muscle and show why we've been one of the best teams in the NHL. They're a playoff team, man. I can't stand them. They're a Stanley Cup caliber team. But yeah, I mean, for sure. Out. When when Stamkos is I'm disappointed is in the Preds. Oh, yeah. I mean, as as most people around here are, most people are Predators fans around this area, so you would be a little bit disappointed in them. 
Carolina's a good team, though. Carolina is a for real team. You can't get too upset about them. They're pretty close by to home as well. You got for a while they've been horrendous. I know, and now they've they're, been the horrendous Hurricanes, and you, now they're for real. It's still crazy to me that we have some Southern you got a couple teams. of teams that are for real now that have been horrendous. The Panthers are another one, and the Buffalo Sabers are still terrible. <sighs> Nobody's feeling sorry for you, man. Nobody felt sorry for me on being a Cleveland Browns fan. Nobody's feeling sorry for you about this being a This is my Buffalo mom's Sabres fault. Fan. All she had to do was not get me a jacket. Like, she could have got me any <laughs> other kind of jacket. Like, when she makes that trip from here to Buffalo, like, instead of picking up a Buffalo Sabres jacket, she could have just not gotten me one. So when I got older, I'd be like, oh, the Preds are kind of cool. They're close by. I'll cheer for them. The Hurricanes are close by. I'll cheer for No. I could have fr- I could have just went front run and you know chose the Boston Bruins like a friend of mine who loves the Bruins and gets to always celebrate or, or things. Or when you were growing up, the Kings or the Blackhawks. Oh yeah, yeah, the Those Blackhawks again. Two teams again. were rolling at, back then. I could have you know been better at anything. Or you know when they expanded Vegas and I adopted them as my Western Conference team because you know how much I love going out to Las Vegas. Where probably one of my favorite places to go visit. And then you know I, I just got stuck with. The Sabres. At least your team has some. At least the Browns have been winning some lately. The Sabres. There's no. There's no winning in the future for that hockey team. <laughs> well, one day it'll happen. One day it'll happen. You say that. The Overtime Elite League is the latest competitor for top high school basketball talent joining the G League now, as two leagues trying to snap up some of the better high school talent, some of the top elite high school talent. And take them away from the college basketball model that has been turning out for the last 15 years, 20 years, and so on and so forth. But mainly just the last 15, 20 years, everybody's had to go to college. But since then, now they're trying to provide, there are multiple models now. The G League and now the Overtime Elite League are trying to provide athletes at the basketball level an opportunity to go in a different direction and make some money instead of going to college where they cannot effectively do that, or at least as much as they can. And we hear about Scoot Henderson today going to the G League or making his decision to opt to go to the G League, the number of million dollars thrown out there. And then you talk about a couple of guys recently have committed to go and play an overtime elite where that's a high school program. Yeah, it's 16 that's to for eight, high school kids. 16 to 18 year olds that pays $100,000. Like that's, this is a, this is a big type of, this is a big deal. Like this could potentially change everything. You could see, I mean, we're already trending towards that where look like, College, for the most part, college basketball has been a farm system for the NBA, more so than the D League was back in the day, the developmental league, or the G League right now. Like, it's always been that farm system for NBA talent. They come in, they play a year, then, they, then they're out of the program. I don't know what this is going to, like, how this is going to affect things moving forward, how it's going to change, but I do know this, that there are going to be guys who if they have the resources and the ability to go to this, they're going to. Like, they will. I mean, you can't tell me at 16 years old, if you're sitting there and you're looking to, like, they're going to say, hey, you can make $100,000, come play here, and then go to the NBA afterwards. You're going to be like, yeah, that's that's a lot of money for a 16-year-old kid. I mean, that's that's a lot of money for me. That's a lot of money for me right now, and you're telling a 16-year-old. A lot of money for me? You're telling a 16-year-old kid that he's going to turn that down for the integrity of playing at a prestigious college basketball university. No, he's going to take the money. This is not an American concept. No, that's why not at people all. are that's why people are having a hard time imagining this, I think partially. This is not something new overseas in soccer though. This is not and you it's know really I'm a big not, soccer guy. And it's not really 
new for their basketball either. They kind of do it at the basketball yeah, level as fair. well. That's fair because, you know, you look at Luka Doncic. He was playing pro ball as well. That's right. That is true. It, it, this is not an American concept that it's trickling into the game now. But overseas in soccer, first of all, look at Christian Pulisic, American soccer player right now, the best best player for the United States maybe even ever. At least that's the way it looks like it's trending. You look at his ability, now he's got to go and win some stuff. You know, we got to make a World Cup. But still, yeah, I, I see you bringing up rings. You just got to go and make it to a World Cup. But Because <laughs> right now, Clint Dinsey's like, I never missed a World Cup, you know. But Christian Blissett leaves the country when he's 16 years old, goes and plays in Germany, you know. This is not a, this is not a foreign concept for places overseas. This is, this no. is guys, there, there, there are youth academies at different soccer teams in Europe where they're going to school while they're playing soccer for these professional teams. And they're going to school at these like soccer clubs. Like they're getting their education from them and they're making money while they're doing it and they're getting paid a wage. This is not this is not an American concept. And I think that's why folks are like, this is weird. I don't know if I like this. And it's like this is it's been like this for years over over the pond. And it's not, it's not like that over here. And so that's an interesting dynamic that I don't think is being talked about enough. But it has produced elite-level talent overseas in soccer. And I actually think that the soccer model here is, has been a big reason why the United States has trailed behind European teams year in and year out. It has nothing to do with the fact that soccer is not the most important sport in the United States. Because look at the United States population compared to England and France and Spain and some of the other top countries in the world in soccer has nothing to do with that. The United States dwarfs other countries in population. There's more people to make up for the fact that it's not the most popular sports in the in the United States. Well, and that's fair. I think it's still I think it's still a factor of it, but it's like you said, the model is what I think is to blame more. The fact that you're not putting like your premier soccer athletes, they're getting started at sometimes six eight years old at these you know academies where they're being trained like almost like soldiers being trained to play soccer for their life and not really that young but definitely when they you know get to be like 12 13 you start to see them playing like really really young over there and that's because and that partially is because it is the most popular sport over there but here it it is not it it, you can see what it's what those resources are being put into and, and drawing this back to basketball this is another way for elite basketball talent to not only benefit off the court financially, but I also think to somewhat benefit on the court this, and develop themselves and brand themselves as players. I'm not totally opposed to this. It stinks for college basketball, which is something that I love. It stinks. But this is definitely something that I, I think you can't argue. I, they're going to get paid a lot of money, right? As long as they go out there, they get their high school degrees, they're going to get paid a lot of money college is paid for things don't work out college is paid for as long as you don't blow the 100 grand i i think that the nba benefits a lot from this because you're going to see guys who come in a little bit more ready i mean and i also like it from the it's, it's a weird thing because typically if you're a top like a top college prospect throughout high school you're playing aau ball you don't have to do that anymore you just go to the academy just play at the academy all year and like you're playing with other top tier competition well the top 30 players yeah. or so don't have to go and yes. play AAU yes. ball. This is still only for reserved for the most elite. Yes, so these guys aren't having to do that, and they're going to be playing against the other top competition at you know these this overtime basketball, overtime elite basketball type of league. But I think it's just going to breed 
it's going to breed better basketball players because they're getting elite level competition very early. And it, you're you're seeing that shift of like, hey, like let's go ahead and adopt this foreign model of development and let's make it. It also, I mean, this could expand into maybe not just like the elite of the elite, and you could see it just become more streamlined for just athletes that you're expecting to go to the next level. You might see foreign players, you might see European players coming into the country and doing this here. That way you you have a guy like Luka Doncic who did it over across, you know, overseas, and then he comes into the league and nobody knows anything about him. Instead of doing that, he can come over to something like this and go ahead and start working on his brand early at 16 years old instead of also, you get to see him against other players that are in his class, which are going to help NBA teams evaluate him as a talent instead of sometimes having to guess on these players that are coming from Europe. Yeah, because sometimes you like you've seen the the wide variance of how they've uh, how they've evaluated how they scouted some of these guys. See, some guys have worked out. Porzingis and Doncic have worked out. Frank Tilakina. Yeah, I mean, no, Giannis was a. What, he was the 15th overall pick? I mean, nobody expected him to be as dominant as he was. Jokic wasn't expected to be as dominant as he was. It was these guys who, you know, they they don't even really know how to value him. And then you get some guys who are way, way up there who, like you said. Don't work out. They don't work out. That's why there's been such a high variance because it's hard. It's hard to scout these guys when they're, you know, in a completely different country. Maybe it'll bring some of these guys in and allow the NBA to scout them more properly as well. As much as it stinks for the college game, college teams better adjust. Just go and get the best teams that you got available. Yep. That, that's what Auburn's going to have to do, 100%, especially if more players continue to trend towards the overtime elite league. That's it for hour number one of On the Line. we got hour number two coming up. One hour left in the show. Stay tuned. We'll be back in just a moment. You are on the line, live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn and Opelika on ESPN 106.7. Listen online at foxsports983.com or ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. Join the show by calling 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Hour number two of On the Line, Noah Gardner, Levi Fitzwater with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Follow Fox Sports Central Alabama on Facebook to keep up with the latest going on in sports. On the line, the drive with Bill Cameron, analysis, news, and more. All on Fox Sports Central Alabama on FoxSports983.com and on Facebook. That's FoxSports983.com. Keeping up to date with what's going on in the Auburn softball game against UCF in the Tallahassee Regional in the opening round. Bases loaded, two outs, top of the fifth. UCF up 5-4 on Auburn, UCF at the plate. And the Tigers now going to get out of that jam, and they're going to send it to the bottom of the fifth, still only trailing by a run. Had a new intern, Jacob Hillman, telling us some uh, some stats on Auburn softball. And Auburn softball has only scored more than five runs in an SEC game twice this year. They're going to have to do that in order to beat UCF. They were down as much as 5-1 to one in this ball game today and now they've battled it back it's a lot closer now five to four yeah I mean it's going to be it's going to take something special for them to win this game like you said and you've only done it once so you're going to have to you're going to do it again and we'll see if they do it we're going to keep everybody updated on that throughout the show we've got it on 
you know, in here in the studio. It's behind me, so I can't really see most of it. I go by off what you guys' reactions are. When I see you guys start cheering or looking disappointed, I'm like, okay, I'll turn around in a minute and see it. But I'm just kind of going blind here right now. Talked about a lot here throughout the show so far. Auburn football landing Kansas defensive end transfer. Marcus Harris talked about what that meant for the Auburn program and what he adds to the defensive line. Also spoke with Christian Clemente of AuburnSports.com in hour number one. If you missed any of that, go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. I want to talk about Athlon Sports releasing its post-spring All-SEC team and Tank Bigsby getting the snub on first-team SEC selection there. He went to second-team Levi, what are your thoughts on this? Is it a snub? The first thing, and the, the first thing that came to mind when we read this and we saw this and we we were talking about it, you said, "Who is that guy? Who is that?" Well, I already who knew who that? he was. Somebody else said. But that. like, I mean, you still think that though? That's what I'm saying. Like, who is that guy compared to Tank Bigsby? You, you, it just doesn't make sense. I feel like Tank Bigsby was a snub in this. I mean, PFF does have him as Christian Clemente alluded to earlier. He is the top returning running back for the college football season next year. I don't know. I, I feel like it is a snub to leave Tank Bigsby off there. I get it. Maybe they want to see a little bit more production out of him. He's a freshman coming in, but I think it's hard pre- it, it, It's hard for me not to see him on that first-team list. Because you watched him play. Of course, you look at Isaiah Spiller at A&M and Kevin Harris at South Carolina. Those were the two running backs to get the edge over Tank Bigsby on the first team. All purpose went to Jerry and Ely, which I think could be a hybrid between wide receiver or running back on this list based off of the fact that Wondell Robinson got on here at some point. I can't remember if he was second or third team. But you look at Isaiah Spiller and Kevin Harris on this list, statistically, much better seasons than Tank Bigsby last year. Tank Bigsby was north of 800 yards. If he had played in the bowl game, would have had a shot to be Auburn's first 1,000-yard rusher since back in like 2017 with Carrion Johnson. But if you just watched Tank Bigsby play, which pro football focus is going to take into account different variables like breaking tackles, being able to create your own space, stuff that they keep up with themselves. If you just take a look and watch this guy play, I don't know how you come away with that this guy isn't the best running back or or top two running back in this in this league. Coming I'm, back. Not even just S, like not just SEC. So like, he's I'm playing talking behind about, a bad offensive line too. I'm just talking about in the in the country in like in the country like he's one of the best running backs coming back. I don't understand how how you can watch this guy watch like yes, the stats are going to be a little bit different but also think about it you said he had a crack to hit a thousand yards rushing if you would have played in that bowl game he would have had to, he would have had to drop 150 about uh, or a little bit under that he would have had to get like 134 or something like that against ten- northwestern but with the way auburn was running the ball at the end of the year i mean it's possible but you still think about that this was a 10 this was a 10 game season bowl game makes it 11 like and he would have hit a thousand in 11 games and you said that had been the first time since like 2017 that means he would have done it in even shorter amount of time than that which and I feel like that should like you. I think a lot of people have looked at stats from last year and they're like, "Oh, uh, the, the stats are kind of impressive." And they're like, "Yeah, how many games did they end up playing?" Because a lot of teams, like you have guys who not only did they play in a shortened season, they also had, there were there were teams that had COVID game the games that got canceled because of COVID protocol. It's like stats are a little bit wonky from last year, so you kind of have to you have to do your due diligence. You have to do your research whenever you're looking into players from last year and stats and whatnot because some of them are a little misleading when you look at it and say, oh, well, this guy only put up this amount of yards. Like, yeah, he didn't play, but in like, you know, nine, some some people played in five games. Like, And you just kind of have to do the due diligence to watch film, see what the guy's putting on the field, and think, 
yeah, this guy is one of the best backs in the SEC. The player that I think Bigsby should have edged is, is Isaiah Spiller. I'll be honest. Uh, 1,036 yards for Spiller, nine touchdowns, five and a half yards per carry. Bigsby comes in at 834 yards, five touchdowns, six yards per carry. Bigsby had 50 less touches than Isaiah Spiller. 50. And he still almost eclipsed him in yardage. It was only 200 yards away. That's the difference there in the yards per carry. Bigsby, when he was getting the football, was a more effective running back last year than Isaiah Spiller. And you saw the offensive line that Isaiah Spiller was running behind last year. A lot of those guys were in the league or they transferred to places like Oklahoma. You know, like the, this is a great offensive line that he was running behind last year. Now, Kevin Harris, like no complaints there, man. 1,138 yards for him, 15 touchdowns, 6.2 yards per carry. And South Carolina's offense was not great. So, Kevin Harris, yes, he deserves to be on that first team. And not saying that Isaiah Spiller did it, but I think Tate Bigsby performed and and he offered more for Auburn last year and played in less games, got significantly less touches, also played hurt last year for Auburn. The man, I, I don't know if he was 100% against Mississippi State, but he had dealt with an injury a couple of games prior to that, and he drops 192 on Mississippi State, and that was not a bad defense last year. No, and especially with the fact that he he had a nagging injury towards the end of the year. Like you got to take that into account. It's like, man was doing this while he was probably still hurt and you know nursing some injuries. So he, yeah, like I mean, he he definitely is one of the best guys in this conference. Like I I think he's one of the best players in, in the, the country. country. Not just at his position. It's hard for me to leave him off of a list like that. When like yes, I understand Kevin Harris. I do understand Isaiah Spiller, talented running backs, but. I just it's it's hard for me not to put Tank Bigsby above those guys from what you see on the like what you see on the field. What what do your eyes tell you? You look at the stats, stats match up. When he's playing healthy, the stats match up. He's also playing behind, you alluded to that, a, a bad offensive line, like a, a downright terrible offensive line last year, and he was still able to put up the stats that he put up. I think that should go into account for that as well. He had four games where he averaged over seven yards a carry, and those games were against Mississippi State, Texas A&M, Tennessee, and Arkansas. So a couple of good teams in there, a couple of not-so-good teams in there. He averaged 6.9 against South Carolina. So five games where he had, or six games where he averaged more than five yards a carry because he also averaged 5.4 against Ole Miss. His worst games... He really wasn't getting a whole lot of touches against Kentucky and Georgia at that point. Georgia game, he averaged 3.9 a carry. That was more of his coming out party, but that was on the receiving front. He had seven catches for 68 yards. He uh, only averaged 3.5 against Alabama on the ground as well. But, I mean, uh, Auburn's offensive line didn't play great against those teams either. We talked about how Auburn performed on the ground earlier in the show, and, and uh, you know, Auburn's offensive line, like, like I said, Auburn – Auburn in the trenches got beat by the best teams last year on their schedule by far, defensive line and offensive line as well. So I think that's tough. Tank Bixby, he's the real deal, man. If he can stay healthy, this guy's going to have a special year this upcoming season. Talking about this Auburn offense, two years ago, 2019, Auburn averaged 33 points a game in that first year for Bo Nix. When they won nine games two years ago, Auburn averaged 33 points a game. I asked Christian Clemente this question earlier. I really liked his answer, but... Make the argument for me that Auburn averages more than 32 points a game this season. Last year, Auburn averaged about 25. So I'm asking for a touchdown difference this year for Auburn to be successful. And if you look at a lot of Auburn's results last year, you could make the argument that if they had another touchdown, they win a lot of those football games that they lost last season. Namely, you're looking at that South Carolina game. 
Maybe you score another touchdown earlier in that ball game. South Carolina doesn't edge you in that second half. You look at the A&M game. Maybe you score a touchdown before the fourth quarter. Maybe you score a touchdown in that abysmal third quarter for Auburn. A&M doesn't come back and beat you. Those are two losses that you shave off, and Gus Malzahn still has a job at Auburn. So my thing is, does Auburn get that extra touchdown to be one of the better offenses in the SEC this upcoming year? And They're going to need it if they oh, want to compete with Bama and Georgia. 100%. One more thing before I move off this, because I just saw this, where, where or I just thought about this, where you're looking at Tank Bigley. He averaged six yards per rush last year. And me and you have talked about when we're playing football games, you you try to make it as realistic as possible playing NCAA in your Maddens. And you, I remember you telling me, your, your running back typically not averaging six, seven yards a carry. So when he's doing that, it feels pretty unrealistic, which means he's a pretty good running back. That's true. So yeah, I, I, it's hard for me to think that they're going to take the leap to get that touchdown. This you know to up their scoring average by a touchdown by a score this year. But if they are going to do it, I think it starts with, I think it starts with one guy. I think it's going to start with Bo Nix at first. I think oh, he's going to be Bixby? that. I think he, I think it starts with him. I think I don't I don't have a problem with Tank Bigsby. I think Tank Bigsby is going to be fine. And I think Bo Nix is going to have to show development. He's going to have to go out and make some of those throws. Think about all the times that we have alluded to and reminisced on the fact that you saw Anthony Schwartz three yards behind a guy, and he's right at the end zone, and you see Bo Nix throw one into the back of the end zone, overthrow him by about five or six yards. You can't have that. Those type of you got to you got to connect on those deep shots. You got to connect on those big plays that weren't consistent enough to get you some of those scores, some of those chunk plays that happen. That's going to have to happen. It's going to start with Bo Nix. It's also going to start with the offensive line protecting him and allowing him to get some of those big plays. I think Tank Bigsby is going to be just fine this year. Not worried about him. I think he will elevate the offense and he will help Bo Nix out because I think his running ability is going to allow this whole offense to open up. But again, it starts with the quarter. When you're talking offense, you're talking scoring points. It's going to start with the quarterback because you could have one of the best running backs in the country and still be abysmal offensively if... You can't throw the football. Think about the pros a few years or years ago with you had Todd Gurley on the Rams, and this was back before they really had anything going on. Before, I think this was before Sean McVay. They would just stack the box, eight, eight men in the box, and shut Todd Gurley down because they couldn't throw the football and do anything in Jared Goff's first year. So you think about if you can't throw the ball, you're going to have a hard time running because all they're going to have to do is just load the box up. And with that offensive line, even when you're passing, if they're loading the box up on you, it's going to be hard for you to even get a chance to throw to one of those guys who might be in a mismatch one-on-one man coverage. I'm with you. Bo Nix, it definitely, it definitely starts with him and his development this upcoming year. But something that helps him out tremendously also is the offensive line. And his receivers can't be bad either. Well, the product that we saw in the spring game was was – not optimal for Auburn going into this year where they lost all of their receivers. That's fair too. I mean, it's it feels like if you're looking at how they're going to how they're going to average one more touchdown this year in terms of their points per game average, it's kind of like everything but the running backs is the issue here. You're looking at it and you're thinking Titans got to put on put up more, receivers got to play better than what we saw in the spring since we lost everybody, you know, you lost so many guys from last year. Quarterbacks got to play a little better and the offensive line's got to protect them. So you think about it, Really, it's kind of like, what's the one thing that isn't holding Auburn back from doing that? And it is the running game in Tank Bigsby right now. Maybe trying to accentuate his skills as well. I have a feeling Auburn's going to get back to average at 32 a game. Th- First throw, of the all, ball to, throw the ball to him. Get him, in, get him involved in the passing game. I think Auburn's going to get to that or get close to that 32, if not surpass it. First of all, the scrub games are back. 
You get to play Alabama State. You get to play Akron. You get to play Georgia State. So that's going to factor it into it just a little bit. You're going to get closer to that 32 mark just because you're not just playing SEC teams anymore. Forgot about that. Yeah, so if you're playing Alabama State last time, you think you scored 60 points. It was it 63 to 9, I think, was the final score. So I mean, you, something like that, that's going to bo- bolster your average. I mean, you score 60 in that game and you score 30 in the other game, you're sitting at 30. So, I mean, like that's, that's obviously going to help you. But the, still, the point remains. Auburn has to be able to score against the good teams on their schedule which they were able to score against Alabama in 19 they did not last year and the past two years combined they have not been able to score against Georgia that's got to change as well and then still trying going to Baton Rouge and put up a, a good offensive performance and I think you're gonna have a really good shot to win this upcoming year in your first SEC game so you know for me that extra touchdown that does make a difference this Auburn team needs to show the ability to score points against above average and worse defenses which they didn't even do that with consistency last year when you look at the South Carolina game only had 22 points you look at the Arkansas game Arkansas came back because Auburn stopped scoring only 30 points in that game in this day and age 30 is not a ton 30 doesn't always guarantee a win in this day and age they only scored 20 against A&M which I still don't believe had a had an amazing had an amazing uh defense I thought it was fine I thought it was serviceable but then you had Kentucky Auburn only scored 29 Auburn was not putting up a ton on teams that you feel like they should have been putting up a, a little bit more on Tennessee only scored 30 Ole Miss only scored 35 you felt like Auburn should have scored maybe some more points against teams like that and then I leave off Mississippi State as well where they only scored 24 Auburn should have had about a touchdown more in a lot of these football games last year I think Auburn gets there there and looking at that like you alluded to the teams that they should have scored more on but the thing that jumps off the page at me is you look at the premier teams in the league in Georgia and Alabama and you scored six and 13 against those teams that's that's not cutting it like if you can't score like yes I get it Georgia has a had a very good defense last year but Alabama's defense wasn't great they did turn on towards the end of the year Pete Golden started trying to get that together but like if you're wanting to compete in the SEC and you're wanting to compete at a high level you're gonna have to put more than six points 13 points against Alabama and then oh by the way Ole Miss one of like horrendous defensively you scored 35 but like that that defense was terrible you should be scoring more than 35 on them that's like like, yeah 30 points per game you're sitting there going yeah that's pretty good but when you're playing Ole Miss that's an exception you should probably be hanging 40 on them that's right 100 Auburn needs another touch I I would say the 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 threshold that I'm setting it at for Auburn this upcoming year they need another touchdown per game they they do that Auburn will be a nine win team next year and I think they get I think they get closer to that mark I really do yeah the the more this is going trudging along the more you feel like that's going to happen I mean you kind of think that you think they can get close to that I, I, I at first I was thinking that this team was going to probably cap out at seven wins but I feel like they I feel like it's going to be more towards that I'm convincing eight. you I'm starting to kind of trend towards that eight or nine and I think it's just going to come down to some iffy games that I feel a little bit more confident in now moving forward I just I don't know. I think I'm just buying into what the coaching staff is telling me as well. So, On the other side of this break, we're going to bring Jacob Hillman on with us to talk about our SEC baseball notebook. Going to get you up to date on what's happening around the conference. Stay tuned for that on the other side of this break. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner, Levi Fitzwater with you on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Follow ESPN 106.7 on Facebook and Twitter to keep up with the latest going on at the station. The Max Roundtable, On the Line, The Drive with Bill Cameron, analysis, news, and more. Seven hours of local sports talk 
That's all on ESPN 106.7. Find the website on ESPNAU.com. Welcoming in Jacob Hillman, sports director at Wiggle 91.1 FM. Also new intern at the station. Jacob, how you doing today, my man? Happy to be here. Ready to be here throughout the summer till I think July 30th. It's going to be an exciting summer. So you've put together an SEC baseball notebook for us, keeping us up to date with what's going on around the conference. You're an SEC baseball connoisseur. You're at every single game you could go to. It is it is in your veins. <laughs> and so you're up to date with what's going on around the conference, what's at stake here as every team has just two games left. All the series started yesterday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday series. Everybody just two games away left in the regular season. Auburn winning yesterday, blowout win over Missouri, but A&M won as well. Those two teams keeping pace with each other. Every game that A&M wins, Auburn has to win because right now Auburn has the tiebreaker over them, but if A&M were to sweep LSU and then Auburn were only to take two out of three, well, Auburn would be in a pretty tough spot to try and make Hoover. Right, and in a perfect world, both teams sweep because that puts Auburn in a three-way tie at least with LSU and Texas A&M. And Kentucky also has 11 wins. They're facing off against Vanderbilt. They could very well get swept by the Commodores in Nashville. So, so Auburn strangely has the ability to skyrocket up the standings. And I haven't looked at the tiebreakers with those three scenarios. Uh, of I know that Auburn has it over Texas A&M, but I don't know the three-way or the four-way tiebreakers because just focuses get in over Texas A&M. So, like you said, there's a... A lot of things that could happen this weekend, especially if Texas A&M were to sweep LSU, Auburn sweeps Missouri, and Vanderbilt sweeps Kentucky. So we'll see what happens this weekend. I, I think Auburn's in a good position. Missouri just does not look like they have an answer for Auburn's offense. And I think that's going to be the difference maker this weekend. Well, you got their best on Thursday, and then <laughs> Auburn puts up 15. They could have saved some of them for this weekend. They could have saved a little bit. <laughs> well, then again, you say that, they, but the bullpen, you need every run that you can get. That's well, fair. you're right. And Missouri has several pitchers unavailable as well. And I, I think that Auburn's in a good position. As long as the offense keeps up the good work, you know, unfortunately, Stephen Williams is out for the season with a facial fracture after taking a pitch to to kind of the jaw area. I caught most of the helmet, but I, I'm thinking something popped in there and he's going to have to have surgery when he comes back to Auburn. But, you know, other than that, you still got Ryan Bliss, Rankin Wally, Casey Howell hit two home runs last night. You know, he didn't have. Who home... is this guy? He I mean, have... we all know who he is because he's been around for yeah. a while, but man, he has shown up at the end of this season. He has, and he, I mean, he didn't have a home run through his first two years. At now he's Auburn. got like more than five, right? <laughs> Seven. Oh, Seven man. Seven this season. Came out of he, nowhere. He, he didn't get his first one, though, until like midway through this year. I think it was March 15th to get at Lipscomb. It wasn't on video. That's right. So all of his old teammates were freaking out and were saying, well, this didn't happen. Next week, he hits a home run, and they finally get it on video. He hit five in a month span, went about a month without hitting another one, and he's hit three since then. So he might actually have eight home runs this year, if I'm doing the math correctly, because I think his second last night was his eighth. So I don't know. I, I, I like what the bats are showing right now. It's definitely a major improvement, and there's some timely hitting right now for Auburn to, to generate 15 runs in that game yesterday against Missouri. Excellent start for Auburn. So take us through. We, we know what's on the line of this Auburn-Missouri series, of course. Auburn just needing to keep pace with A&M. What's A&M doing this weekend? Well, A&M, they got a big win over LSU last night. Luke Frizzell, that guy, he had a grand slam two weeks ago against Ole Miss to take the series against them last night. Bottom of the eighth inning, Frizzell, another huge solo home run to take the one-run lead against LSU, and that was the difference maker. 
And it's one of those things where Texas A&M just seems to be this gritty team that really gets the wins when they need to. They didn't do it last weekend in Auburn, but I, I think they have a really good chance at getting a sweep against LSU, just, just the way they looked last night. How does LSU go from sweeping Alabama or taking two out of three against Alabama and then f- and faltering to this? Injuries. They're dealing with a lot of injuries. Last night, uh, Bianco in center field kicked their left fielder, and he had to go to the hospital to get his ribs checked out. He's going to be out for the series. He kicked him? Well, they both dove. There was no communication. They dove at the ball, like converged on it together, and Bianco's legs just happened to like he kind of got past him, and his legs kicked him right here, like in this area. So he went to the hospital uh, for those injuries, and they have two other guys that are doubtful for the rest of the series. So injuries are a problem. I I just think Texas A&M is a better team than what the record shows. Really. I do. I think that Texas A&M, the bats. So we could be looking at a scenario here where LSU is left out of the SEC tournament. It depends on what the three-way tiebreaker is. I'm not sure what that is exactly because I think it's... What if the three-way tiebreaker leaves Auburn at home? It's possible. And that's unfortunate. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> or, also, or possibly, you know... The- possibly a good thing for the SEC. Yeah, <laughs> I, see, I don't know the- if you want Auburn to the SEC tournament. The, the way I see all of this is just focus on Auburn winning right. and then look at it afterwards. I was going to say because... If- those scenarios are crazy, like yeah. you said. You pretty much just have to, you, if you win, you're in a good position. That's mm-hmm. all you can do. If you just win the game, that's all you can do, see what happens after that. Right. What, what's another series that you got your eyes on this weekend? Well, it's definitely the Arkansas-Florida one because Arkansas has the chance to top ten the SEC title. And last night, I mean, Kevin Copps, he is, I think he's the most valuable player in the country. If there was an MVP award in college baseball, it would be him because last night comes in after after Caden um, – I can't recall his last name. He had two home runs for Arkansas. That was the difference maker. They went up 6-1, and one, so it's not this save opportunity. But three no-hit innings, five strikeouts, he does this on a weekly basis. He'll probably do it again tonight or tomorrow because he throws multiple times in a weekend, even though he threw three innings last night. Kevin Copps is the difference maker for Arkansas. He's the reason they've won the games they've won. Candidate for SEC Pitcher of the Year. He is, and, you know, obviously there's a popularity contest with that. And... We know who the more popular pitchers are. It's Kumar Rocker, Jack Leiter. Yeah, it's the Vanderbilt guys. They're going to win it. One of those two will win it. But Even though their numbers are actually aren't as impressive as some of the other guys in this league exactly. that are sporting like .5 ERAs. Yeah. And isn't Cobbs in that category? Yeah, he is. And he's not a starter. And that's another reason he's not going to get as much love. But, you know, guys like Will Bednar and, and Sims for, for Mississippi State. Sims is a closer as well. Those, are, those guys, in my opinion, are much more valuable but, you know, this is not to, you know, I'm not throwing lighter rocker under the bus. But well, I mean, they're great pitchers as exactly. well. Exactly. So I, I just think that everyone gives them all the attention when cops, Bednar, Sims can get more attention, but they don't. Arkansas-Florida series. So what you got there on the line is Arkansas winning the SEC. Florida as well, though, has really came on late in the season. Those are two of the hotter teams in baseball. What else is happening on the league? Another series that you got your eye on. Yeah, and the, and the team that's competing with Arkansas for that SEC championship is Tennessee. They had a dominant win at South Carolina. They haven't won in Columbia since 2012 until last night. So, you know, they just need help from from Florida. So it's going to be tough for them to do it because they're a game behind and, and you would basically need Florida to win both games. But Tennessee's a team that I really like going into the SEC tournament and heading in to the NCAA tournament because nobody wants to play them right now. No, they're, I mean, they're beating some really good teams. They and, took on Arkansas last weekend and, and and did not hold back. No, 
And that series was fantastic. Of course, we saw the heated moment on Sunday after the game ended between the two coaches, and they, they were going back and forth. I want to see that game on Sunday in Hoover. That would be electric. So Tennessee, though, I, like I said, I wouldn't want to play them, and I don't think they get as much attention as they could get. You know, everyone talks about the Vanderbilts, the Mississippi States, the Ole Miss, the Arkansas. Tennessee is kind of slept on, and I think that they can make a deep run towards Omaha this season. SEC teams that maybe are on the fringe here this weekend. What's going on with Alabama? Yeah, Alabama, they, they've got Mississippi State this weekend. Grab one game, and that can put them in a position to be in over Georgia. Georgia's playing Ole Miss this weekend. Anybody so, on the bubble in the SEC that you're concerned about? Because oh, Alabama's the, right now sitting at 12. Tournament? Yeah, Alabama's sitting at 12 wins right now in conference play. And, you know, Levi showed me a graphic, or, or no, I think it was Lance that showed me a graphic not too long ago about percentages of SEC teams that make it to the NCAA tournament based off of wins. Right. And it's like 30-something percent for teams that won 13 games. It's like 60% for teams that won 14. Obviously, 15, you're pretty much in. 12, it, it maybe has happened like 12% of the time. And Alabama and Georgia are the teams that are sitting at that 12-win mark. They're both playing the two Mississippi teams that have been fantastic throughout the year, of course. Of course, Ole Miss has not been as good as Mississippi State, but they need to get one win this weekend to be for sure in the tournament. That's it for our SEC Baseball Notebook. We'll be back on the other side of this break. You're listening On The Line. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Follow ESPN 106.7 on Facebook and Twitter to keep up with the latest going on at the station between the Max Roundtable on the line to drive with Bill Cameron. There's seven hours of local sports talk radio. That's all on ESPN 106.7. Find the website on ESPNAU.com. Keep it up with what's going on with the Auburn softball game against UCF in the Tallahassee Regional, the opening round game. Bottom six, Auburn losing to UCF 5-4. to four. Two outs in that inning. Auburn down to their last four outs of the ball game. Not much going on for them on the base paths here lately. They got down as much as 5-1, to one, battled it back now 5-4, to four, and Auburn's going to have to do something that they've only done twice this year. Only have done it twice and that score more than five runs against an opponent that, that is kind of SEC quality. They only did it twice against SEC teams, score more than five runs in a game against SEC teams, and now they're going to have to do it against UCF if they're going to win it. They're holding on for dear life. doesn't seem like it's going to happen, but we have seen crazier things happen, so we're keeping the faith. We're just hoping that the runs start coming at some point down there. Auburn baseball found the runs yesterday, though, putting, them still, putting themselves still in a position to where they're in the driver's seat. Win? And you're in. Every game that A&M wins, Auburn has to win as well. They, if that occurs, if A&M were to sweep and Auburn only took two out of three, well, Auburn's on the outside. They're not going to Hoover. But they, they'd be left out with Missouri. It'd be those two teams left out. So, and A&M, unfortunately, took game one against LSU last night. LSU picked a bad time to cool back off. But A&M right now playing hard against LSU. Auburn's still in a position, though, to, to get back into Hoover. Yeah, I mean, all they got to do is win. We were talking about all these different scenarios about what you want to do worry about what you can do go up to Missouri you know stay in Columbia win those games in Columbia win against Missouri and just let the rest of it fall if you win those games you're just fine just win it worry about all the tiebreakers and what A&M's doing and all that later you just win right now and you're fine 
I want to go back to a phone call that we had earlier today. We had Shane call in earlier. Once again, if you want to call in, 334-321-1390. That's how you can join the show. Once again, 334-321-1390. He was talking to us about the playoff and frustration with parity and whatnot, and that led me to say a, a couple of things about how I feel like there's an air of frustration amongst certain fans out there, not necessarily the younger fans, even though you and I are technically a part of that that group. We we I, I'm frustrated a little bit with the way that the that the game has changed, mainly because I miss the way it used to be. Things have changed so much in college football over the last five years, the last ten years, and so on and so forth. The game is unrecognizable from 15 years ago. And in some ways, it's changed for the better. In some ways, I, I, I don't like the way that it's changed. Not necessarily saying that it has changed for the worse, but I may have not have liked the way it's changed. What are your some of your thoughts on that? How do you feel like the game has changed? And uh, has it been for the better or for the worse? I mean, I don't think it's changed too drastically from, like, the only thing that's changed is the fact that you have three teams that are consistently at the top. And the only thing I can say to that is you got to recruit better if you're other teams. Like, you have to put a dent in that somehow Right now, it's the only problem that people have with this system, in my opinion, is just because it's stale right now. It's stale at the top, and that's why there are some people who don't like it. And that typically happens. I mean, you do get bored when you see the same matchups consistently. I get that. And I think that's the only real issue people have. Look, we've went into, we've, me and you've had plenty of in depth conversations about expanding the playoffs. I don't think that expanding the playoffs actually fixes anything and gives you a better playoff product or whatever but I am for it simply for the fact that if you want to if you want to expand to those teams and you can remove some of those other games let's say you're removing one of those cupcake games throughout the year adding another layer of the playoffs instead of seeing Alabama just wax Western Carolina you'll probably see them wax Cincinnati instead I would rather see that because at least in that chance you do feel like Cincinnati at least has a better chance to beat an Alabama, Georgia, Clemson over a team like Western Carolina in the regular season where you're just playing it. I just feel like it has a little bit more. It just it adds a little bit more fun to it. It, it injects it a little bit better. I, I'm not one of those people who are just like feeling like you have to protect this this sanctity of whatever. Like it's it's getting a little stale right now. You got to try to do something. There's not an easy fix, and I'm not saying that that's correct the way I have aligned and the way I'm thinking of it. But something needs to be done to kind of inject a little bit of life into it because there are some people who are falling out of favor with it simply for the fact that it is a little stale at the top. And you've you've always noted that there is parity. It's just throughout the rest of it. Yeah, I'm about to I'm about to go on a history lesson here. Everybody says, well, there's three teams at the top that are good. That's more than there used to be. There have always been dynasties. Yeah, of course. Always. I'm going back. I'm looking at the BCS runs here. You look at Alabama's dynasty obviously started towards the tail end of the BCS back in 2009. They rattled off three BCS national championships before they've gotten into the college football playoffs where they've added another several national championships as well. But Florida had a nice little run where they had two national championships over a three-year stretch where they were one of college football's best. USC had a small spurt of a dynasty under Pete Carroll for about three or four years. Oklahoma in the early 2000s as well into the into the late 2000s. They were a part of that mix. Miami had a stretch in the 80s, of course, being great. But there have always been dynasties where they've been able to rattle off two, three years. Now, at the top in college football, and you look at the college football playoff, 
national championship results. Of course, Alabama has stood the test of time, it feels like. They've gone on now for for more than a decade, which I don't think we've ever seen before in college football, to see a team be able to sustain this much success over a decade. Alabama is an outlier here. But you look at the top, Clemson's been going for about four or five years strong, which is longer than the average as well. Clemson is doing something that most teams are not able to do traditionally, just being able to appear in national championship games that many times. You go back to the BCS era, that wasn't occurring either. Ohio State, in a, in not really in a similar position because they've been to just two college football playoff national championships in the last seven, but that's still a strong number compared to what I just told you at BCS title games. That was back where they were, you know, teams were typically only going to two. You look at the Pete Carroll stretch, he only went to two, only won one. Well, you think about Ohio State went to two BCS championships and then they're going, they're consistently in the playoffs, even if they're not in the national championship, you know, scape. They they won the first playoff in 2014 and they're still going strong and making it to championships later on down the road as well. I just don't think adding another round to the college football playoff eliminates what's at the top. Now, sure, you could say, well, it gives another game for something to happen. And what happens in the FCS playoffs is sometimes it turns into a war of attrition. Who's healthiest at the end? So, sure, something bad could happen to one of these teams that could prevent them from winning a national championship. But is that really in the spirit of the game? Is that good? Is that's, that- every, that's every sport, though. Like, if you look at the NFL, who's, it's, who's the most healthy at the end of the yeah. year? That's why the Tampa Bay Buccaneers end up winning. It's, I'm sorry, it's who's the most health is who's the most healthy of the talented teams i'm not trying to disparage what they what the tampa bay buccaneers did because they were a very talented team but it helps when you're healthy it helps when you're the golden state warriors and Kyrie and kevin love are hurt and lebron's just out there having to score 50 just to have a chance to win those games in the final and that's what happens you look at the warriors losing when kevin durant's out clay thompson's out and that's how Kawhi leonard and the talented raptors team are able to usurp the title from what you assume was a better team in the warriors so like that's at every level i don't think that that's too big of a deal because that part of it is throughout sports in general and so my thing is you look at the college football playoff and then, and then people bring up the point that you just did, which I don't totally disagree with you. Part of people's frustration is the fact, or people's frustration is the fact that it is the same three teams at the top. But my thing is, it's always been that way. There have been stretches of that. We just didn't have playoffs back in the day. If you had the playoffs in the 2000s, you'd be seeing USC, Ohio State, Oklahoma playing every year back then too. It was that way, Florida. And then you'd have one team rotating in and out every so often, which is what's happened during the college football playoff. Just because we've added more games doesn't mean that we've necessarily created more parity as you trim the fat and you start getting closer and closer to the title you're still going to have the same teams there at the end and that's all based off of a point that I made earlier on that call I said look it comes down to two things the elite coaches are at the three teams that are winning every single year and you can ask well why are they elite they recruit better than everybody else they've got all the best players they've got the best Jimmys and Joes Ohio State Clemson and Alabama and that's why they're there I'll say this though to your point, I do think that we're seeing something happen in college football right now with Alabama and Clemson that we've never seen before. Yeah, it's it's because of the length of it. It's not like yeah. like you just noted. It's not the fact that there are the same three teams. It's that the same the same like group. how long it's going. Yeah, it's at the at the top. It's been so long, especially Every with single year. And I think it's like I'll point to Alabama because they've been doing it since two thousand nine. Since Nick Saban got that's on never there. happened before. It's never happened, and that's outside why, of Alabama. And you get frustrated, like if you're not an Alabama fan. Or just like a college football, what's what's the word I'm looking for? Neutral, like a neutral party. Like you don't have a team, and you're just yay sports. Like you're you're a little tired of seeing it because that's not your team, and that's a team that is winning every year. I mean, you think think about the NFL. People were getting tired when you see 
Tom Brady or back when it was just the Patriots. Every year they're in the Super Bowl. Like, you do get tired of that, and that's, that's human nature. Like, everybody... Alabama fans will puff their chest and be like, yeah, they just they hate it because it's us. Like, yeah, you're right. Because like any time that if, if it was any other team, you would hate it too because you do get tired of seeing. I got burned out of the NBA because of the Warriors and the Cavs. Exactly. I used you know, to you, love the NBA. I used to love it. I got burned out because of it. You get burned out. Ruined it. You love college basketball so much. How often do you have a repeat champion within like the past, like within a few year span? I mean, Villanova went two out of three years, but like real, realistically, it's you have a lot of the teams that are competing, but there's always some sort of parity in that sport with who the champion is. I mean, Baylor won it this year. You had North Carolina a few years ago, Virginia. You have all these different teams that you're not expected to win that. And to the point where you did say that expanding it doesn't necessarily change it because it adds another layer, but it will thin itself out after you trim the fat. But it does at least give the illusion that it, there is parity. And I think that's what... I think that's what they're gearing towards is because it does give some sort of illusion that it is, oh, look, there's all this different parity now. All these teams aren't here. It will still but end there up being was, the There same was teams. more parity, though, in the BCS. There was, and you can't change that because the, di- the, the amount of times that teams would appear in the title game changed more often. Alabama was the only team that appeared more than three times over a stretch of like five years, six years. That Alabama had the most lengthy dynasty under the BCS system. You look at this, Tennessee, Florida State, Florida State, Virginia Tech. Bye-bye, Florida State after they play. Okay, so Oklahoma, Florida State, they, they were three years in a row. Florida State three where it made three straight appearances, and then they disappeared off the face of the earth for – ever until they played Auburn back in 2013 so Florida State did it as well at the beginning of the BCS stretch but you saw Tennessee Florida State Florida State Virginia Tech Virginia Tech played in a BCS national championship like come on Oklahoma Florida State Miami Nebraska Ohio State Miami now Miami disappears for a little while LSU Oklahoma USC Oklahoma now LSU disappears for a little bit Texas USC that's the end of USC's run Florida Ohio State LSU Ohio State now Ohio State disappears Florida Oklahoma Alabama Texas Auburn Oregon Alabama LSU Alabama Notre Dame Florida State Auburn there are a lot of different teams in that mix and nobody was just doing it year in and year out bang 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 other than Florida State who did it three times in a row at the beginning didn't win all three but they went to three in a row and then Alabama who did it every other year except for their back-to-back in 2011 and 2012 which it's special what those teams did I'm not taking away from I'm just saying there was more parity under the BCS system so why did we get away from that I mean because you want a playoff and you want to see it you you think that with a playoff it does get it does get to you what you think is the best team the BCS never always got what you thought was the best team I thought the best two teams based off of what happened in the regular season played in the national championship those years it just because we added another layer in, in Ohio State one year in, in the college football playoff, makes it to the national title game, and you had four versus number two. Just because that occurred, and then Alabama did it as well back in 2017-2018, just because that occurred, I don't think that means that those teams were the best teams throughout that season. They were not. That's why you ranked them at four. Now, we played the games to give them a shot to win because the argument there is the top four teams all have a shot to win a national championship, and the differences between those teams shouldn't decide. The minute differences shouldn't decide that only one and two should play for it. But I feel like you got one and two right most of the time under the BCS system. I didn't have any gripes other than 04, just like every other Auburn fan did back in 04. But for the most part, every single year, the top two teams in the country throughout the entire year, they earned it throughout the year. They played in the national title game, and it ended up, for the most part, being pretty good games all the way through. I still, I mean, I still think that you should 
I, I guess I'm a little biased because I think towards the earlier the earlier BCS games where you have like Florida and Ohio State, LSU, Ohio State, and those games just were pretty much not no contest. Like they were they were boring games. I always allude to, and I always think about those. I still think that with the you could expand the playoffs and you could keep because everybody says, oh, the regular season doesn't matter. Okay, well, you could just make every every conference champion into the playoffs, and I think that does solve that. And everybody's like, well, what about the Big 12 or the Pac-12 where they're not good? It's like, tough, tough. That, that, that's fine. Let them go get waxed. That's fine. It's what they do in the NFL. It's like, oh, but this SEC team might team get let out, let out. I'm sorry. Tough. Miami Dolphins got left out, too. Like, that's part of when you do that. If you want the regular season to matter, you want those games to matter, make the conference champion matter. Make that make your conference matter. Make make those five teams, the power five teams, make their conference champion go to the playoffs. Make it matter. You won't want to lose any you won't drop some random game to South Carolina if that game matters. Like that that no, it, you it, might. I but. mean you still might, but like it's still you're not gonna be looking back to oh, that's okay. They're fine. They're okay. But like, no, like it make it make it matter. Make them matter. We wrap up the show on the other side of this break. You're listening to On the Line. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama to be the drive with Bill Cameron following us on the show at 4, 4 to 6 p.m. here on this Friday afternoon before we wrap up today's edition of the show and another week of On the Line. Let's take a listen to what's on TV tonight. Hey everybody, it's Noah Gardner with What's On Tonight. Happy Friday, a new episode of Shark Tank on ABC at 7 as life-sized robotic dinosaurs are brought to the tank. Some movie selections for tonight go back to the 80s with the classic The Breakfast Club is on AMC at 7. Terminator 2 Judgment Day is on BBC at 7. In live sports, the final spot from the Western Conference in the NBA playoffs will be battled for between the Memphis Grizzlies and the Golden State Warriors at 7 on ESPN. The NHL play Playoffs continue with four games on the slate. Game four between the Capitals and the Bruins at 5.30 on NBCSN. At six on USA, it's game three between the Hurricanes and the Predators. At eight on NBCSN, game two of the Jets-Oilers series. And at 8.30 on USA, game three between the Avalanche and the Blues. Friday night MLB game as the Brewers and the Reds clash at 6.10 on FS1. I'm Noah Gardner, and that's what's on TV tonight. Keeping up with that Auburn softball game. A lot going on here right now in that Auburn softball game. Auburn with bases loaded in the bottom of the seventh. One out, and it's 5-4 to four UCF. Auburn's got their winning runs on on the base path and a tying run away, uh, you know, only so many feet away. They're one station from home plate. So some interesting things going on in that softball game between Auburn and UCF. Auburn trying to make the comeback. They were down as much as 5-1 to one against UCF here in the first round. Bases loaded. I mean, it, this, this is this is what you play for. This is what you play for right here. You're going to be my eyes on it. You're going to be the one keeping looking up. I'm just going to just keep hoping and praying that, you know, Auburn gets a run here. You can get two runs here, and, th- and that'll do it for you. So, you know, looking at the rest of the bracket, though, Auburn split against Kennesaw State and Florida State when they played in a tournament earlier this year. Auburn sneakily could get out of this regional into a super regional, a place that the 12th best team in the SEC, you really feel like doesn't have any business being there. But that, I mean, that's how, that's how softball is. I mean, that's how it is when you play in the, in the Southeastern conference, when you play all these good teams that year in and year out throughout the season, typically the 12th team, the 12th best team in the SEC is usually a little bit better than most of the other teams, but it would be crazy if Auburn could sneak into that position. Well, that's why Auburn got a two seed in the NCAA tournament. And we'll just try to keep up with that right now. 
as Auburn and UCF embroiled in a battle in the bottom of the seventh inning NBA play-in tournament tonight. Memphis Grizzlies, Golden State Warriors, 8 p.m. ESPN. So is Major this one, game here. So this this one, this one, the winner gets in. I'm That's so, right. I'm, I'm They're still the so, eighth seed in the Western Conference. I'm still so confused. I don't understand how that works. I thought the play-in tournament, you played in, you win, but then the Warriors get another shot. I'm just, I still, still don't you understand it. You understand it. I still you're just, don't get you're it. You're just playing dumb, man. But that you was understand the, it. That was still a crazy good game, though. That, that Warriors... LeBron game, as I like to call them. The Warriors, not Lakers. Warriors, Lakers, just Warriors, LeBron. Because they have such history. Warriors, LeBron, you always want to see Steph and LeBron. And that was crazy. I mean, you got LeBron seeing triple, making it in, stuff like that. And I'm assuming something bad just happened on the TV. I see all the faces around this room right here. So I'm just going to let you take over and uh, explain to the people what happened on the TV behind me that I've yet to look at. Auburn just chopped one back to the pitcher and got doubled off with bases loaded and have lost five to four. So oh. there you go. I, I was kind of expecting that. To ha- like, I was expecting that's what happened when I saw the faces around the room. So, that's very unfortunate for Auburn softball to drop that one to UCF by chopping one back to the pitcher and grinding into a double play to end the game. Worst way to uh, the worst Someone way to end Someone laughed game. in here. <laughs> oh, J- J- Jacob laughed out of like pure just like. All right, well, this is Auburn. Like he. That's a that's a defeated man. That is a an Auburn fan. That is a Braves fan. That is a defeated man. The soul in this man. A Panthers fan. A Panther. He is defeated over here. Okay, he is a defeated human being. It's been a bad year. It's been a bad year. You know, we talked a little bit about this. It's been a tough year for Auburn athletics, and uh, you know, I don't want I don't want to go into it, but I, I've said this to multiple people on multiple occasions. This is up there in terms of one of the uh, really really tough athletic year for that department. When. When I heard Jacob laugh and let out that laugh, it was the exact same laugh that I had throughout, I don't know, this past year's Saints-Bucks game in the playoffs when Drew Brees throws one and you hear him yell Alvin as loud as he can because he just realized, oh, my arm can't make it that far right now and it's about to go back the other way. Or like the year before with the Rams, or the two years ago, Rams no call, the Vikings push off. Like I know how that feels, and it seems that Auburn and the professional team just keep doing it to me. So... It's, it's unfortunate. I feel that defeat. I feel that defeat, Mr. Hillman. Quick pick tonight for the NBA playoffs. Uh, I'm going to go with the Warriors. I think they're, I think Steph's just going to carry him. Steph's playing out of his mind. I'm going to go Warriors as well. The Grizzlies don't have something to keep up with that. That's it for another edition of On the Line, another week of On the Line. We'll be back with you on Monday. Keep up with the drive with Bill Cameron following us. We'll see you on Monday, everybody. You know where to find us.